Um, so today we, uh, we, we have a lot to get through. So the, we are going to be jumping through a whole bunch of passages um, strung throughout uh, the whole Bible. And, and we're going to be going pretty fast. And I don't have words up on the screen, and so that's going to make it tricky for you. So if, if you have a Bible and you're feeling fast, you can, you can join along. If you need a Bible, you can throw a hand up, and Justin here will throw one towards you gently. Um, but then, otherwise, if you want to take notes about where we're going, I'll, I'll let you know where we're jumping back and forth to, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Sound good? And then uh, at the end, we'll work on trying to weave all of these things together and having something coherent. Deal? Okay. Again, first service is much more lively than you guys are. The, the coffee must be more fresh or something. <sighs> Still nothing. Fine. Be that way. It's going to be a long morning, okay? If we, if, if we were to summarize everything that was... The, that the Bible is about, that the main theme of, of the Bible, what we would get is there is a God who has chosen a people and has created this world around them and, and the entire story focuses on this back and forth of God aligning those people back up with how creation is meant to be. And there's this back and forth and back and forth of, of God coming after his people and drawing them back into alignment and heading towards the restoration of all creation. Okay? So dangerous thing to do to, to try and abbreviate all of that in, in one idea, but, but I, I, that is, that is the, the main theme. And so we're, we're going to just kind of journey through a, a couple of snapshots on that. And the, the first one's going to be in Exodus chapter 15. And, and the, the God has, has chosen this people that he calls Israel. And this, this nation of people has, has grown. And, and through history, they've, um, they've formed, they, they've come into the land of Egypt um, by, by God aligning things, they, they have been put in a prominent place. And then the, the Bible tells us there was a Pharaoh who arose who did not know the God of Joseph, who did not know Joseph, who did not know the deeds he had done. And so he enslaves the people. And, and there are hundreds of years of enslavement. And the people cry out to God and say, God, do you not hear us? Don't you see the scars on our back? Don't you see what's happening to our children? Don't you see how they're oppressing us? God, where are you? And God responds. And God rescues a people that could not rescue themselves. And he draws them out of the land and, and he, you know, if, if you are around my age, you have been inundated with like the, uh, uh, the Prince of Egypt soundtrack, right? And so maybe you're familiar with the story through song. Maybe it's just me and my nerd is showing. They, they, they come through these plagues and, and God brings them to the Red Sea and the people in despair turn and say, here comes Pharaoh's army upon us to kill us, to destroy us all, to take us back to slavery. God's brought us here to die. 
and God parts the Red Sea and he brings the nation of Israel through it. And then Pharaoh's army pursues them and God lets the sea crash back down on them. And they're vanquished, annihilated, no more army. The most powerful army on earth at that time historically is defeated. And, and so in, in Exodus 15, as they've come through the Red Sea, Moses and the people sing a song in glory to God. 15.1 says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And this is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And, and from there, the, 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 the song continues, and he, he keeps describing the, the greatness of this God. And, and as we continue to watch the story of the nation of Israel, they, they are so whiny. Like, ugh. They, 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 God, we're hungry. And they start looking at Moses and saying, God, or Moses, God has brought us out here to die. We're, we had it better in slavery. And God provides food. And they say, God, we need water. How could you, how could you lead us somewhere to die? And God provides water. God, these, these tribal bands, these, these raiders, they're, they're attacking us and they're, they're coming around us and God provides protection. And over and over and over again, God rescues his people. God initiates and steps in for a people who could not protect themselves. And that's really, if we look through the Old Testament, that's the story of the Old Testament. Back and forth back and forth, that the people stray away from God. A bad king would rise up who wanted nothing to do with Yahweh God, and so he would erect um, shrines to, to other gods, shrines um, with, with temple prostitution, uh, child, um, child sacrifice, like, bad, bad, bad things. Bad, okay? And then God would, would cause something to happen, whether taking the, uh, uh, an army would come in and he would take the people to an exile and, and, and kind of reset. Or a king would then rise up who would, who would find the, the lost scroll, the, the, the text of Deuteronomy and lead the people back into revival. And there's this back and forth. And like if you cannot make it through the Old Testament because you feel like it repeats itself a lot, it's because it does. And it's this, this back and forth and back and forth. And, and, and when we get to the, the, the historical end of, of the Old Testament, there's this, this several hundred year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and, and there's another back and forth in that point. And, and there's a group of people who finally stand up and say, hey, we're going to make this happen. And, and, and that's where we see the, the Pharisees we see in the New Testament. That's where their political party got its start, got its rise. And they said, we are going to protect the holiness of the law. We're going to stick with God. And then they overshot it. We're going to jump now to Luke chapter 5 and take another snapshot. Because Jesus is on the scene now. 
And it says on, on one occasion, chapter 5, verse 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing, Jesus, by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We'll pause there for a second. Because fishermen fish at night. Uh, Okay, I like fishing. I'm really bad at it. But I like it. These guys caught nothing, and their livelihood depends on it. Like, they are businessmen, and this is their business. This is their trade. This is what they do. And they had gone out, and they got skunked. Nothing. And then here comes this guy in the middle of the day and says, hey, let's, let's go catch some fish. And Simon says, with all due respect, you should stick with teaching because you don't know what you're talking about. But okay, we'll try it. We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So we get another snapshot of, of a man and his boat and his crew who go fishing and can't catch fish. And in a weird, non-expected way, God once again shows that he provides. He's the one that makes things happen. If we, we take another snapshot, this time we're going to bounce to John chapter 20. So Jesus spends three years with, with Peter and his boys, and they, he, he, they, they get to watch him teach, and they got, get to watch him um, minister to the people around him, and they get to see this guy, Jesus, face to face, and what he does, and what he's all about. And then Jesus is crucified. He's falsely accused. He's apprehended in the middle of the night. He's tortured, and ultimately crucified. In another snapshot, John 20, chapter, er, chapter 20, verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went out to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, 
and they were going toward the tomb. And both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. And when the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, she stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she, that's pretty good right there. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have lain him, and I, and I will take him away. I'll, I'll take care of him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet to ascend. I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had, and that he had said these things to her. If we jump again to Romans chapter 8, verse 11, I told you we'd, we'd jump all over the place here. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give to your mortal bo- give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We'll jump one more time to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and every time Paul writes to the, the church in Corinth, it's not, he, he's not happy. He's, he's in a bad mood. It, it, it's, it's as if he has got them by the shoulders and he is shaking them because they will not understand what he's been trying to say to them. And so chapter 3 starts out and he says, are we beginning to commend, our, are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Do I, do I have to remind you who I am? Do I have to remind you our past, our history? Do I I need to tell you everything that's gone on? Why have you forgotten? And you show that you are the letter that Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. 
Such is the confidence that we have through Christ our God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Well, it says the, the proof of who we are, the, the proof of the truth that we have been trying to communicate with you is, is you. The, the change you've seen in you is the proof. He says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't look, couldn't gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of the righteous must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more of, much more will what is permanent have glory. That the, the old law, the old way of doing things was glorious, so glorious that Moses wore a veil over his face because scripture says his face would shine his face would glow after the time he had spent with God and, and it would cause shock to the Israelites. And, and Paul is saying, don't, don't you understand that what we have been showing you is so much more than that. So much more. And since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, so what do we do with all those snapshots? What do they, what do they have in common? What, 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 how, how do we thread these things together? Because we go from seeing how God responds and initiates salvation to seeing how God responds and how he initiates calling Simon to himself. How he shows Simon, I provide everything. To seeing in the resurrection how God responds again in salvation and says, you, you could not do this. You, you could not do this when you were Israel at the Red Sea. You could not do this when you were doing what you thought you were best at and fishing. You could not do this to make yourself right with God. I'll do it for you. And Christ fills that gap. To what we see in Romans 
Or if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That that the spirit initiates life. To seeing what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, that, that the spirit is what transforms you from one degree to another. Now this is, this is where I get to nerd out a little bit, okay? Um, I, I totally geek out over theology, more than I probably should. And, and there, are, there are different elements of theology, different lenses by which we can study and look at theology and, and, and like, a, like a prism, you, you, you can turn it and you can see different characteristics and different attributes and, and different um, beauties of, of who God is and what he's been doing through these different lenses. And, and one of them is called spiritual theology. What, what do we do with the spirit of God and how that impacts the way we live today? Okay, we tracking? Let me, let me phrase it like this. Let me, let me ask. How do people change? H- how do you change? If I were to, to venture a guess, I would, I would assume that there are things as we sit here in our hearts that we wish were different about ourselves. And I'm not talking hair color or that extra five pounds, or whatever. That there are things in your heart you wish were different. How do we change? the, The whole point of scripture, or a point of the entire story of scripture, is that we don't. We can't. We're at the Red Sea. We can't part the waters. God parts the waters. We're, we're standing on the hill Golgotha, and we can't save ourselves. Jesus saves us. Jesus fills the void. We cannot, cannot make it happen. And that's the story back and forth and back and forth through scripture is that that Israel, that the people of God through history, they cannot save themselves. God does it every time, every time. And when we see, like I was talking about, that, that intertestamental period where the Pharisees as a political party rise up and they say, we're going to white knuckle this. We're going to make it happen. We're going to do it on our own power. I'm going to make this happen, that it goes bad quickly. That it starts with good intentions. We want holiness. We, We want this thing that God has been drawing us towards. And then they start putting these rules around the law to say, to be sure we're not going to break this law. We're not going to break these, like, extra laws on the outside of it. So we don't even get close to it. And it became a thing where they did it themselves. They don't need God. We can do it. We can white knuckle it. And and Jesus is on the scene and and he's rolling with his boys and he's got Peter and and John and and James and and, and they're all there and there's accounts. They're, They're in the temple and there's a Pharisee there and he says, thank you God that I am a Jew. I'm 
not a Gentile like that dog over there. And Jesus looks at his boys and he points to the tax collector who the Pharisee was talking about, who's on his face weeping, who says, please, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Jesus says, that's the heart of God. Not that you white-knuckle it, not that you can do it yourself, not that you're type A and you've got this great system for how you're never going to do whatever it is. God does it. God causes the change in our hearts. If we're going to speak theologically correct, the Spirit causes change in our hearts. You, You don't do it. You can't do it. And over and over and over again through Scripture, we, we get the snapshot that God is the one that does it. So, so what do we do with that? Um, like I said, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of that thing called spiritual theology, the, the idea of how do we take our understanding of the Spirit and what's been revealed to us in Scripture and apply that to our lives. How do we, how do we live that out? And there's a, a thing called spiritual disciplines. Okay? You may be familiar with them. You, you, you may be familiar with some of the, the classically thought of thing, things like prayer, things like fasting, things like reading your Bible in study or devotion or meditation, right? In fact, some of us probably in our story, if we've grown up in the church, those are things that have been pushed on us and that we've been told, you need to do these things. Why? There are three ways that people change. One of them is that the Spirit of God causes some event to happen around you that causes change in your heart. So maybe it's a hurricane. Maybe somebody you love gets sick. Maybe your dog dies. Maybe your kid dies. Maybe maybe you woke up in lockup after the DUI. And that event kicks change into gear. The Spirit uses that to cause change in our hearts. The, the second is, is people around us. So I I would venture to guess we've had that experience where we are sitting next to someone across the table having coffee um, in in the hallway. Somebody says something that lights us up, that makes us think, oh my gosh, that makes sense. Or "I, I never thought of it that way. Or yeah, I have been screwing up like this lately. Or or you heard it in a a sermon. You heard it in a song. That that we sing songs here every morning, things like, Lord, we love you. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. And the Spirit uses those things, those people around us, to cause change in us. The third third thing that I want to sit on is that we we put ourselves in the Spirit's way that we think of the Holy Spirit like a Mack truck and that we are stepping out in front of that truck hoping it hits us. That's where things like spiritual disciplines come in. And that's how we need to think of things like spiritual disciplines. That, That we are hoping 
that, that we are, are going to put ourselves in a place where the Spirit is going to cause change in our hearts because we can't do it, right? And so classically, we have those things like prayer, like fasting, like reading Scripture. And there are, are two, two disciplines I, I want to kind of just land on this morning. Two, two ways for us to put ourselves in the Spirit's way. Um, one of those is the discipline of community, and one of those is the discipline of service. And, and when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we, we can get caught up. There, there are some great modern writers on the, the topic, guys like Dallas Willard, guys like Richard Foster, that they have written books that really help us understand these things and, and put some structures around them to help us accomplish stepping out in front of that truck. But we can get creative with it. Napping can be a spiritual discipline. Can I get an amen? No amens? Fine. That's okay. I am a jerk when I am tired. And I have a four-year-old who woke up at 4.30 this morning and stayed up. Sometimes the best thing for me to do is to take a nap. To trust that, this, that, that God is going to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of and this is the best thing for my heart and my family's heart. And so I can rest. But the, the discipline of, of community. Um, this, is gonna, this is probably going to sound like a plug for gospel communities and it is, but it isn't. Okay? At, at Rev, what, what we have done is we, we understand the spirit causes change. Like, no amount of anything we do will cause change in your heart. Just, it's the spirit. And so our hope is to create these structures, like a, a trellis that a vine can grow up. And one of those is, is gospel communities, okay? And, and it's this idea that you should be a part of a group of people where you are known and you know. You know the people there, and they know you. Uh, I, I have a, a gospel community I am a part of, and we met this last Friday. It is super awkward for me. It's totally honest, okay? Um, I, I, I am a teacher at heart. That, that, I mean, the majority of my job is teaching. When my wife and I get in an argument, my inclination is to get a whiteboard and list A, B, B1, B2 of how she's wronged me and how, and, and we can correct this, and obviously that doesn't go well, <laughs> right? And I've, I've had several years of sanctification in that. But, but that's, that's not our group. Like we don't, that's, that's not us. And it's, it's awkward for me. But this, this last Friday, we're sitting there, and we've got one couple that is, is talking about, about chronic illness and chronic pain and how there's some hopelessness in that and, and struggles with children and that we're afraid that the, the, the kids are getting just totally jacked up and that we're ruining them, and right? 
which is, a, I mean, parents always struggle with that. But if you're a parent, you also know there are times where that is very, very heavy. And there is a couple there, and they're sharing that we, we have these decisions ahead of us, and we don't know what to do with our business and, and what we're going to do and how, how we're going to do some things. And, and it's, it's confusing, and we don't know what's going to happen, and it's scary. And people there who, who want to share, who, who are trying to hold back the tears, literally, this is Friday, trying to hold back the tears, and they don't, they don't know what words to use. They, they don't know what, what to say to share, how to share. It hurts. It just hurts. And then there's the, the new couple who's just kind of staring wide-eyed like, oh, this is deep. And it is. And it's, it's painful. And it's awkward. And I, I don't know what to do with it. Because my inclination is to pull out the whiteboard and boop, 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 boop. But to sit there and to know them and to be there for them and to figure out how to be there for them, that's hard. And that's the spirit. That's the spirit working in me. That's me putting myself in the way of the spirit, hoping that it will cause, like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, that we, that we would see that we are being transformed into the same image to, to look like Jesus from one degree of glory to another. And that this, this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. That th- this, is, this is why we put ourselves in community. It's not so we can just have awkward chips and dips circle and read a poorly written small group study. This, 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 is, this is it. And, and those, I mean, the studies are good. We, we learn things. And uh, I like that because I pull the whiteboard out. This is what community is for. And this is why we, we have this trellis in place, this structure. This is why we invite people into it. Not, not because we think, well, yeah, just add something else to your week. We're all busy. We get that. But it is a discipline to create margin in your life to know and to be known. To sit there, I, I can only speak for me, to sit there and think, oh, God, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to say. I, and God works in that and he changes that. And so, like I said, it's a plug, but it's not a plug. You need to be in community. You need to be in community that's centered around that resurrection story. So that's the only way we can sit across the, the coffee table and know that it's okay that I just am staring awkwardly at someone crying. We're, we're in it together. And, and maybe something like that doesn't work for you life. Like I said, the, the disciplines are about being creative and finding a way to put yourself in front of that truck. The, the, the last one is, is the, the discipline of the discipline of service. Well, once again, we as a, a corporate community, as the Rev 22 family, we, we have things in place. Ways to, to put yourself in service to others. Ways to, to take you 
and arrange yourself under someone else for their good, to love them, to, to serve them, and then to deal with the junk in your heart in that whole process, and to let the Spirit light certain things up and watch as he, as he changes you. And so, I mean, there's, there's always opportunities on, on Sunday mornings for that. Like, we always need somebody to wipe babies' butts, okay? And that's an opportunity, as, as well as handing out Bibles, as well as folding up chairs, as well as playing a guitar, as well as a hundred other things, a hundred other ways for you to arrange yourself under somebody else and serve them, even though it's difficult, even though you're tired, even though you don't want to, even though they said that one thing that one time and now you're kind of ticked off at them. And it's, it's an environment to put yourself in, to step in front of that truck. It's a, and, the, and the serve Sundays that we do. And there are opportunities around you. And so the, the, the band is, is going to come up because I should probably wrap this up. What, what will you do? This is the story that you've been invited into. This is this grand epic from, from the beginning of creation and that starts leaving signposts looking at the future, looking at what God is leading us towards. And over and over again, we keep seeing him responding and he's the one that's there. He's the one that initiates change. He's the one that rescues. But will, will we put ourselves in that way? Will we, will we step out in that street? Do, do, do you want to? And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. We're going to sing some more songs. We're going to talk about a couple other things real quick. But will you, will you consider the disciplines as a tool to do this? God, we are, we are made low. We're, we're humbled that over and over again in, in our story, over and over again in the grand story, that you will, will be the one that makes it happen. That you call us, that you lead us through the sea, that you, you show us that you've paid the price. That, that your blood has taken care of everything in the way, that you are transforming us from one degree of glory to the next, God, that we're just, we're along for the ride. My prayer is that, that you, would, you would haunt us. You would give us opportunities to practice a discipline, to put ourselves in your way, whether that's that's through the prayer, the reading the word, service, community, napping, singing songs together. Thank you, God. God we, we love you. We beg for you to show up. We beg for your spirit to continue to work in us. We, we pray and we sing in your name and all God's people said.